0: Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. These last weeks we've been considering what we Christians call the sanctity of life. And we've learned that the sanctity of life is not just some metaphorical or abstract concept in the way of the Greek philosophers. We've learned that life comes from God. And in the Hebrew way of thinking, wherever God is, which is, of course, everywhere, there is life. And it's only where God is pushed away, where he's rejected, that there is death. As long as God is with you, then who can be against you? And not even death or the devil. But today we consider the revelation that is given to us about life by our Lord's holy apostles namely by St. Paul in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, the first book. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, we've talked about life on this earth. We've talked about how life, knit together, woven by our Lord in the mother's womb, is precious. We haven't necessarily answered the question about the meaning of life. Is life on this earth but a passing breath like grass that flourishes and then withers and decay, that life comes and then it goes, and maybe there's a memory and that's it? Or is there a greater purpose to our life? Do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. The life given here and now is a life lived in faith in the Son of God. And that life lived in faith leads to an even greater life, a restoration of a life that was lost in the garden millennia ago when Adam and his wife Eve rejected the Lord, rejected his word, brought death and evil, of course sin, into being. That is what sin is, is to reject the Lord, to reject the Lord and giver of life. Of course, then that's why sin leads to death. But God would not have it because he is the Lord of life, not death. And so from that very moment when he made the promise to Eve in the garden of the offspring that would crush the serpent's head, the deceiver's head, God has been working all things out for the salvation of his people. As we studied in our catechism today with the children just a few moments ago, and as we did a few days ago, in our daily prayer, Zechariah was praying in the temple. And each day, we know this from the prophet Daniel, that each day God's ministers would pray at twilight for the coming Messiah. Every day, lighting lamps, offering incense and prayers, interceding for the sins of the people, looking forward to the Messiah who would come. And that Messiah would come bringing life, not death. By his death, he brings life into the world, life for all who believe in him. And it's on that firm foundation, then, that Paul can build this knowledge that he gives you, so that you're not ignorant, brothers, but rather you understand, you know, about those who have fallen asleep. And we don't want to pass over that too quickly. Those who have fallen asleep, right away we hear that Christians don't refer to the dead in the way of this world. Even in the way that we refer to those who have been laid to rest, who sleep, even the cemetery, the resting place, we're already confessing that we don't understand death in the way of the Greek philosophers, in the way of the pagan world. We see death in the way of a gate, a gate to heaven, as the psalmist calls it. And so, with the apostle, we also refer to those who have died as being asleep or resting in peace. And he does this, he reminds us of this, lest those who sorrow, that is over the death of someone they love, or they respect, that we wouldn't grieve or sorrow as those who have no hope. So the apostle is giving hope for a hopeless world. And there is no greater hopelessness than to think life is a futile a deathward drift, as the hymn writer says, moving from birth to death and almost pointless. That's a hopeless existence. We are not ignorant. We know that there is hope. And the hope is grounded again on the death and resurrection of Jesus. In this way, Jesus is our trailblazer. He lays the way, the path, for us to follow. And that in every way, we follow Jesus into death, to the resurrection, and then to be caught up into the clouds to be with the Lord in the air, as Paul says. The pattern that has been set forward by Jesus is the pattern of our life, too, because we have been joined to him, even in our ascension into the heavenly places. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, then God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. That's what it means to have this promise of Jesus. This was true even for the prophets of old, as we mentioned last week, even for the last prophets, those last priests in the temple who looked forward to the Messiah, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Simeon and Anna, who take up Jesus in their arms. They've been looking forward in promise, to the promise. And that promise gives them hope, because it's a promise given by Jesus in his word. And when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. He does what he says. Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, this is you, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, and therefore you have hope. Everything is dependent. All of your hope, your meaning for life, is dependent upon one event, or rather one week of events, some 2,000 years ago. Your whole and entire life as a Christian is grounded upon what the Christ did, that he entered into the holy city, that he cast out the money changers from the temple, that he preached and taught there in that temple, that he was accused of blasphemy, that he was put on trial, that Pilate washed his hands of wrongdoing, And yet still handed him over to be crucified. That he carried the cross up to Golgotha. That he was flogged, that he was beaten. That he was crucified there at about noon. And hung there from noon till three. And there were earthquakes, and there were lightnings, and the sun was darkened and the moon turned to blood on that great and terrible day. And two believers, but secretly, took him down from that cross and Laid him them, them in a tomb. And then on the third day, one Sunday morning, he rose from the dead and appeared to the women first, and then to his disciples, and to those on the road to Emmaus, and some 500 at one time, as Paul says. This is all eyewitness testimony. This is not a metaphorical story or some kind of myth or tale, but this was seen in history. Indeed, it's the culmination of all history, and it is the grounding of our hope. For if none of this had happened, if it's just an idea, then we actually have no hope. Our hope is grounded there. That's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, we would be found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So everything is grounded in what Jesus has done, that Jesus died and rose again, and even so will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And then Paul says in quite stark terms, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now Paul is speaking as a prophet with definitive authority, authority handed over to him, By Jesus, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He speaks with authority, but of course, this authority is grounded in the word that Jesus Himself had spoken. In many places, especially towards the end of Matthew's Gospel and also Luke's, he speaks of this coming in judgment, this final day, which is a great and terrible day for those who do not believe. But for you who believe, it's a day that you look forward to with hope. In Matthew's Gospel, he describes it this way, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So, when Paul says that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, he's simply referring to what Jesus himself had already said would happen. But more than that, he's actually looking back towards the prophecy that Daniel had given when God's people were in exile in Babylon. Daniel was given a vision of this last day, and so the people were not surprised when Jesus spoke of it in the same terms. Daniel had said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancients of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And so it is that when St. Paul says that the Lord will return on the clouds, he's referring, of course, to his coming on the last day. But, of course, you can also refer then to the eyewitness testimony of those who saw our Lord ascend into heaven, like St. Luke records for us in Acts that Jesus was taken up in a cloud and It received him out of their sight. What is this all leading towards? That the dead in Christ would rise, those who are asleep in the Lord, and then we too who are alive and who remain will all be caught up together, all those who believe in him, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the important words. I think the most important of this text. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. When we talk about the sanctity of life, it's not simply just that God gives life, that God preserves life, although this is both true. But everything that God is doing in your life now is working out towards this life that is to come. This is why he continually preaches to you, proclaims upon you the forgiveness of sins, that you would be righteous and holy in his declared word. Because that word prepares you to die with him, Forgiven. And those who die forgiven, he calls asleep, because they have the promise of life and life everlasting. We preserve life because God gives life, but also God gives life to redeem life. He sent his son Jesus in the flesh, as we'll celebrate on his nativity, not simply to be an idyllic scene for us to adore, oh, come, let us adore him but to be the man who would be king and the king who would die to make you his royal servants. And so Jesus says, especially in John's gospel in many ways, that everything is being worked out for this purpose, that we shall always be with the Lord, that we will live forever with him. He says it this way in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then when he prays in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he says it this way, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am everything in this church, is oriented towards receiving life. Not a life that is temporary, that's transient. Not a life that's lived in just the pleasures of the flesh or in futile pursuits. Not even a life that's done in noble acts of trying to bring about peace and justice in this world, but a life that is lived towards the life that is to come. A life where all those who believe in Jesus will be together together gathered around his thrones with angels and archangels, celebrating the life given by Jesus when he suffered and died for us. A life that is restorative, that restores what was at the beginning, a new Eden, heaven, a garden, that we are given to tend and to care for, where we receive the love of Christ every day, and that we live Live for one another and live for God in holiness and righteousness forever. May God grant this in the name of Jesus. His holy name. Amen.